but good morning. It is great to see all of you here with us today. How many of you like surprises? That's a, that can go either way, can I mean, surprises can be really good or they can be really bad. Back about a month ago, after uh, this service, 11 o'clock service, I was going to meet my wife and my oldest daughter, our granddaughter, Riley, back in my office. And some of you are visitors today and you don't know them. We have a picture I want to show you of, of Riley here. Oh, that's Batgirl. This was when Riley was 10. I've been telling her. I'm gonna put, see how serious she was? She told us that day that Batgirl was serious. So, you, you know, all day long she was in. Isn't that a great picture? She's going to hate me. Uh, we have a more picture, uh, uh, relevant picture of Riley. This one, she is working at El Toro's on the weekends, uh, uh, helping us with uh, some Christmas money, playing guitar. And my beautiful wife, Cindy, there comes Cindy. And Cindy told me yesterday when I said I was going to have a picture, I, I got the, uh, you better have the right kind of picture of me on that screen. So she didn't care about the granddaughter, throw her under the bus. But, the, but anyway, I, I can't find them. So I go back to my office and I, my, to get into my office, you have to go through a counseling area and it's dark and they jump out and scream and surprise me. Folks, I almost had a heart attack. I mean, I was seeing my mama and my daddy and my grandparents. I, ha- I saw Jesus for just a moment. And then my heart started beating again, and I was okay. But so- sometimes being surprised is not good, is it? I mean, it can take some, some uh, years off of you or your, gray your hair, whatever. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 15 and 16 primarily, if you have a Bible. If you don't, we're, we'll have the Scriptures on the screen so you can follow along. But we're going to look at the Easter weekend, the Easter weekend. And folks, here's what I want to tell you about the Easter weekend. The Easter weekend was a weekend of surprises. I mean, this was a weekend with some really bad surprises. It looked like at first, and then some really great surprises too. And I want to begin with this. The first Good Friday was a day of great surprises. Now, we talk about Good Friday, and we, we call it Good Friday. It's a great day. It's a wonderful day. What we celebrate, but I, I want you to go back in your heads and your hearts with me. 2,000 years ago, the, the first Good Friday was not, it did not appear to be a good day at all to the people who love Jesus. In chapter 15, verse 15, it says, to pacify the crowd, Pilate, what a great leader, released Barabbas, who was a notorious criminal, to them. And he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip and then turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. It's, it's interesting, in the Bible, it never goes into much detail about the flogging or the crucifixion for two reasons, probably. One is the people then knew what it was and didn't need a lot of detail or explanation. But two, it was so terrible. Let me tell you about the flogging. What they would have done is they would have certainly stripped Jesus from the waist up. And then they would have tied him to a stone or to a pole where he could not protect himself or could not move. And then two Roman soldiers that were called lictors who specialized in this would have come out and began to, to work Jesus over they would have had a whip, a handle, and, and several leather straps going off the, the, uh, the handle. And in that, that leather handle, they tied pieces of lead 
to make it heavier. And they put sharpened piece of bone in there to make it more brutal. And they would begin to beat on the victim. The Jewish people had a rule that said you could only uh, whip someone 40 times. And so they would say 39. They just to be safe. They'd 39, 40 minus 1. The Romans didn't have any kind of rule like this. So when they began to whip you, that, that there was no rules whatsoever until they got tired or until their boss said to quit. Dr. Alexander Metherall is a medical doctor. He was associated for years with the University of Miami Medical School. He's an expert in the crucifixion. Here's what he said happened to Jesus or what happened to people when they were crucified. When they begin to flog, when they begin to be whipped, eventually you would begin to tear the flesh, probably starting the top of the spine down to the lower back. You'd begin to tear the flesh off of the person. If it went on long enough, you would begin to expose muscles and tissues. If it went on long enough, you'd begin to see possibly internal organs and maybe even the spinal column. If it went on too long, the people would die. People often died from these crucifixions or these floggings. And let me just say this. We, we're looking back 2,000 years ago, but I want to tell you, if this was Jesus you had followed, this was your best friend, this is the guy that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. I'll give you eternal life. I'm the one that's going to give you hope, and you saw this happen to him, and you loved him dearly, this would have torn your heart out. You would have been so surprised and shocked. He told them it was going to happen. They just didn't listen, or they didn't believe him. In verse 19, the story goes on. The Roman soldiers take Jesus after he's flogged. They struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him. They dropped to their knees and mocked him. The verbiage is here. They kept spitting. They kept hitting. They kept mocking him. Certainly Jesus' followers, some of them may have been able to come in and see where several hundred Roman soldiers had gathered around Jesus and were doing this. This is somebody they loved dearly. This is not what they were expecting to happen. And then it says they led him out in verse 24 and they crucified him. The soldiers nailed him to the cross. Now, when someone was crucified, they would take him and they would lay him down. And and there's actually, archaeologists have found crucified skeletons or remains in tombs in Jerusalem that date back close to the first century. And they have found nails that were almost certainly used in crucifixions. Five to seven inch nails, pretty thick nails. And they would have probably driven them through Jesus right here. They considered this upper wrist part of the hand, so there's no biblical contradiction there. They could do it in a way that they never broke a bone. And they often hit the median nerve there. I asked Dr. Mark Blackwell years ago, a doctor in our church. I said, Mark, what would it be like if someone took a nail and hit you in the median nerve? He said it would be unbelievably excruciating. So they nailed Jesus to the cross, and his family and his friends are watching this. Then they might have put his feet together. They considered the heel part of the foot, and they would have maybe taken one nail and driven it through both heels to tack him to the cross, and then they would have set the cross in place. The cross was basically a slow, excruciating, torturous death. You cannot help yourself at all. You, they usually died after being there two or three days. They'd suffocate or die from exposure. You, you're being probably mocked and spit on and messed with by people all around you. It was absolutely, absolutely horrific. And let me tell you, this is the Son of God, man. This is Jesus Christ. This ought to break your heart if you're a Christian this morning. But can you imagine the surprise of Jesus' family and friends when they saw this going on? The Roman orator, Cicero, said the cross is not even something you should talk about. You shouldn't think about it. It should never enter your mind. It's such a horrible thing. A Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. It was for slaves and the worst of criminals. But yet that's what they did to Jesus on what we call Good Friday. Verse 37 is the culmination of it. 
Then Jesus uttered a loud cry and he died. So you followed Jesus for, for three years. You loved him. You saw him do miracles. You gave everything you had to him. You believed in him. He's telling you, I'm going to die. You're not listening, just like we don't listen a lot of times. You're not paying attention, just like we don't. And then all of a sudden, he's beaten. He's brutally tortured, and he's dead. Man, can you imagine the shock that they must have felt? But I want to throw you a shock this morning, a surprise. Many of you have heard this before, but you need to rip open your heart, pull the calluses off, and you need to hear it again. He died for you. Jesus Christ died for you. Why did he get whipped? Why did he get beat? Why did he die on that cross? He did it for you and me. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love towards us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died For us. It doesn't say when you became a good Baptist, a good Catholic, a good Methodist, when you cleaned yourself up, then Jesus said, I'm willing to die. It said, no, in the middle of your junk, I came to die for you. That ought to shock us. That ought to surprise us. I read a story this week of a Catholic priest told about when he learned what it was like to try to understand the love that God has for us. He grew up in a big family. And, and one, of the, uh, one of his brothers was mentally handicapped. He was, uh, he was born that way. He never got much better. But the family treated him just, and mom and dad, just like everybody in the family. He was a great part of the family. And when he was 11 or 12, dad and the boy were out walking. And the boy fell into an eight-foot septic tank. Now, that in itself is enough to make you not want to eat lunch. And, and because he mentally, he, 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 was, he could not think well, the dad could not get the boy to cooperate with him to get him out. So the dad jumps in the septic tank. Folks, you fall in the septic tank today, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to get Trey Smith and get him to dive in there and pull you out. So the dad dives in. The dad thinks, well, I can get in and I can hoist him out and he can get out. But then he realizes it's eight foot deep, it's full of water and it's muck. And he, 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 he goes, the only way I'm going to keep this boy from drowning, I got to get under him and lift him up. And hope that people will come and get him and me out before we die. Well, people did come fairly quickly. They pulled the boy up, but by the time they got the dad out, he had died. And here's what that priest said. My dad dove in that septic tank for my brother, who a lot of people discarded. He was willing to die to save my brother's life. That's what Jesus did for us. He left heaven to come to earth And I love earth, don't get me wrong, but man, in a lot of ways, we're like a septic tank, aren't we? He came and he dove into our junk to die to save us. Wow. Hope that surprises you, refreshes your memory a little bit this morning about what we're about and and why we're here. Let me give you a second surprise. That first Easter Sunday was a, a great surprise. The very first Easter was a day of tremendous surprise. This is going to be a really important key to this puzzle. But I I want to show you something. Several, this must have been July or August. I'm driving by Walgreens and I see this sign. Okay, look at it with me. We have, parents, all your back-to-school supplies, 12-pack of Miller, $7.99. I stopped. I said, I got to get a picture of that because that will be used in a sermon at some point. I immediately called Cedar Creek and the the Lincoln Parish School Board and said, what are you doing to our kids? We used to get in trouble if you had a beer on campus. You know, now it's part of their backpack, isn't it? 
That had to be kind of a, wasn't put together well on that side. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Folks, the Sabbath to the Jewish person began Friday night at sundown, and it ended Saturday night at sundown. During that time, the Sabbath, they were not to get out, move around, you know, they'd go to worship, that's it. So when the sun went down, they could resume their normal duties. What did the women do 2,000 years ago when the Sabbath was over? They went shopping. Things have not changed in 2,000 years, have they? But what they went to go get was to go get ointments to do something. Verse 2 and 3. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were there asking each other, who's going to roll away this huge stone that's been put in place for us to enter the tomb? Now, guys, listen, please get this. This may be one of the most important parts of the Easter story. They were not going there to celebrate Easter. They weren't singing on the way to the tomb. He's alive. He's alive. They were going to anoint his dead body for the final burial rituals. 20 years ago, a friend of mine in Cindy's in Navasota, Texas, he's an undertaker named Douglas Nobles. And I asked Douglas about this, and he told me, he said, Orthodox Jewish people today do not embalm. They, when a person dies, they will come, they will wipe the body, they will clean the body, they will anoint it with oil, and very quickly, in a short period of time, they will have the, the funeral and the burial services. The, obviously, they didn't embalm people 2,000 years ago. They are going to the tomb because they couldn't do this Friday. They took Jesus off the cross, and they had to, to bury him quickly. So they're going to finish the burial rituals. Did you get that? They are not going there expecting Jesus to be alive. He had told them, I'm alive. I was going to come back alive. They, they didn't pay attention. But they were not going there expecting him to be alive. In verse 6, of this same chapter, that, that they bump into an angel. The stone's been rolled away. Hey, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see something in Matthew in a moment, all tell this story, and they add different tidbits. One of the tidbits that's told in one of the other Gospels is they go in the tomb. And there's angels there, but there's no body. That Jesus' body is not there. But, but let me, for you skeptics, because you'll agree with this, An empty tomb does not prove someone's alive. An empty casket doesn't prove anyone's alive. An empty hearse doesn't prove anyone's alive. True story, about 30 years ago, a minister who worked for his denomination, his job was he would go, as in the Midwest, he would go out to rural churches, he would preach, he would do funerals, he would do weddings when they didn't have a pastor. So he goes out to do a funeral at this church, and after the funeral, the burial is like two or three hours away. So he rides with the undertaker. I've had to do this numerous times. He does something I have never done and I never will do. On the way back, he gets tired. He asks the undertaker, hey, you mind if I crawl in the back and take a nap? I don't know about you, I'm I'm just not going to do that. I'll sleep up front. I'll recline the seat or whatever. So the funeral home guy says, you know, it's not a casket, nobody back. Sure, crawl back there and go to sleep. So he does. He wakes up, he noticed they have stopped, and they're at a gas station. And folks, you young people don't remember this, but you used to go in a gas station and someone would fill your car up. How many of you remember the good old days? They call that a husband today. (laughs) 
or a teenager, right? The guy wakes up, and he can tell the guy filling the car up is nervous. You know, he's looking at this hearse, and he, he, I guess he could see a body. So the preacher says, I'm going to play a joke on this guy. The preacher sits up, opens the curtain, knocks on the window, and waves at the guy. He said that gas station guy ran faster than he'd ever seen anyone in his life. They were at the gas station another 20 minutes. They never saw that guy again. So I want to tell you that that's a great story. But just because someone sits up in the back of a hearse doesn't mean that they came back alive. It, it doesn't. But in Mark chapter, tw- excuse me, Matthew 28 verse 9, listen to what it says. As they went from the tomb after they talked to the angels, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they ran to him and they grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. We don't know Jesus came alive back to life because the tomb was empty. We know he came back to life because eyewitnesses saw him and they touched him. That's not in there by accident. They grabbed his feet. I've never met a ghost. They said a ghost lived in this old white building. I don't know where she went when we tore it down, but I'd keep my doors locked. Not that a ghost can't go through the doors, I guess. They grabbed his feet because he was alive. Listen, that word arisen literally means a physical bodily get up and walk out. Jesus walked out of the tomb. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 6, it's really kind of the heart of the gospel. It says this, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus arose. And the word arose means to come back to life, to never die again. And it says 500 people saw him at one time. And Paul, he's talking to people 2,000 years ago. He says, if you don't believe me, go and talk to them. Many of them are still alive. We have 10 to 11, depending on how you count them, resurrection appearances in the New Testament. Folks, Jesus came back to life. And they weren't expecting it. Isn't that a cool story? We come to church and we go, yeah, we're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to sing about it. We know that's not, that was not on their radar at all that morning. And I think that's one of the things that makes it more real and more viable and more alive to you and me, that Jesus Christ came back alive. What a great and wonderful surprise that was. Let me give you a third thing. This Easter can be a day of great surprise. My prayer this week has been for you, and I don't know all of you. My prayer for you that I've known is that you would come in here this morning and you would be surprised at what happens in your life today on this Easter. I saw this statistic. It's from 2015 is the earliest I could find. But, but listen to this. This is surprising to me. In 2015, which means we did more this year, Americans spent 16.4 billion, billion, billion dollars on Easter candy, clothes, and decorations. Is that not incredible? We spend more money on candy for Easter than we do for Halloween, and I'm all for that. In fact, you got some leftover chocolate bunnies tomorrow, bring them in the name of Jesus to the church office. And we will we'll chop their little ears off. We'll eat those chocolate bunnies. But let me tell you a bigger surprise, something that can happen today. Here's the first thing, man. This can be a day when you find or you refine Jesus Christ. Some of you today, you're not Christians. Doesn't mean you're bad, doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you need Jesus. You need to find him. Some of you are Christians, and man, you're far from God. And you need to refine him today. And that Matthew 28, 8 and 9 story again. 
Matthew 28, 8 and 9. The women ran quickly from the tomb this after they met the angel. They were frightened, but man, they were filled with joy. They were so surprised at what had happened. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Verse 29, excuse me, verse 9. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and they grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. You know what? They thought they lost Jesus. They thought he was gone. He was dead. But he wasn't. And in a true sense, they refound him that morning. Some of you as believers, man, you need to refine Jesus today. You need to have a reconnect with Jesus today. Some of you aren't Christian. You need to find him for the first time this morning. I'm going to tell you two things will happen when this happens to you. First of all, it'll be a day when you can find forgiveness and a fresh start. Man, how many of us need this? There's a verse tucked away in chapter 16. It's easy to to read and miss it. Verse 7 says, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Why does this include Peter? Peter was the leader, you say. Maybe Peter needed to know. I want to tell you why they put and Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends who had just absolutely failed him. Bragged about, I will never fail you. I will stay with you to the bitter end. But when Jesus needed him most, he denied him three times. And the last time he was cussing it up. He had failed Jesus and the group in an unbelievable way. I I think if Jesus hadn't come back to life when he did, I think there would have started to be more and more suicides. It wouldn't have been just Judas, and Peter would have been the first on the list. And can you imagine, we have an idea about the meeting because of what happens the rest of Peter's life. When they met, boy, I hope there's a VCR or video or whatever CD in heaven we can watch these things. When Jesus and Peter met, And Peter was sorry. Peter was repentant. And Jesus hugging him and them crying and him saying, Peter, I still love you and I forgive you. And I want to tell you this morning, that's what Jesus wants to say to every one of you today. Some of you Christians need to desperately hear that. Jesus loves you and he's willing to forgive you no matter what. Some of you aren't Christians and you need to hear this morning, Jesus loves you and he wants to forgive you. But listen, not only did he want to forgive him, He wanted to restore him. We can't always restore human relationships. Somebody keeps hitting you. You can forgive them, but you need to run away from them. You have a bad employee. You you forgive them. You fire them. You don't hire them back. But sometimes even when, when we try to make things right, it doesn't work out on both ends. It takes two. I want to tell you something really cool. Anytime that we are repentant and we are sorry, Jesus not only forgives, Jesus says, come on, let's do it again. Let me put you back in the game. Peter had failed it big time. Jesus forgave him. Here's what he said. Peter, get back on the mound. You're pitching tonight. You're a baseballer, softballer. You understand that. If you're a football, he said, Peter, here's the, you're the quarterback. You're soccer. I don't know anything about soccer. I guess you're the goalie. He said, Peter, you're back in the game. That's what Jesus wants to say to you. I love you. I'll forgive you. 
I want to restore you. I want to put you back in the game. Is that not wonderful? That's what he's saying. Is that, I hope it surprises you. And I'm just going to culminate it like this. Jesus, listen, not only to give you a fresh start, Jesus wants to give you life today. This can be a day when you find life. You can find life. In John 10, 10, Jesus tells why he came. Jesus says the thief's purpose, the thief is the devil, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Listen, we're looking for, we're looking for fulfillment in a million places, Christian and non-Christian. Hey, if I just had a relationship, if I have a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, I'm going to be happy. (laughs) No, no, no. There's a lot of living proofs that that's not the case. Well, if I just, if I can party more, well, partying will make you happy while you're high or while you're drunk, but that always goes away. That's not the solution for sure. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's power. There's a lot of good Christian people would never do those things, but, but we want to control things, dominate things, power. If I'm the big shot, if I'm control, then I'll be happy. None of those things satisfy you. Jesus Christ is what will give you life. I'm not talking about eternal life right now. I'm talking about life here. Jesus said, I have come to satisfy your life and to fulfill you the way money or nothing else can. And some of you need to find that today. You're chasing everything. You're living vicariously through your kids. You're doing all these things. None of that's going to do it. Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb to give you life. He can give you life. Some of you aren't Christians today. I'm not trying to be mean or ugly. Here's the facts. Jesus said, he's the only way to heaven. Without him, you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. There is a hell, there is a heaven. You know what? You can leave here this morning on your way to heaven. Jesus came, walked out of that tomb to give you eternal life too. Isn't that great? I hope that surprises you a little bit. I hope it shocks you. I hope it motivates you. That's what it's all about. People get, come, come to church on Easter. It's such a great day. We, we, we bathe. You know, we, we're clean, we look good, we smell good. But sometimes we're not expecting to have a God encounter. 1999, we were in Cisco, Texas. Easter Sunday, people came, they cleaned, they bathed. It was great. We had a great service. I gave the, the response time. And a lot of times people don't want to come on Easter because it's crowded and they're embarrassed. Three adults walked down the aisle and gave their life to Jesus that morning. Here's the weird and great thing. None of them lived in our town. None of them went to our church. One, two of them were a husband and wife, a couple from California, visiting. They walked, the last thing on their mind when they came to church was that Jesus was going to turn their life upside down in a great way. And they, they came down and got I never saw them again. I've never seen them again. I wouldn't know them if they walked here and there today. Another lady comes to church. She lives in Lubbock, four hours from Cisco. Visiting family. Church member of some church. God gets a hold of her heart and she realizes she doesn't belong to Christ. She gives her life to Jesus that day. She walks out on her way to heaven. Surprise. You know what? That'd be the coolest thing ever this morning. If some of us got surprised by Jesus and got saved or got changed. It can happen. Field and Stream magazine had an article this month about a guy named Joe Vanderpool and his wife. They live in Florida. 
they were sitting in their house, I guess several months ago, watching TV, and they hear a crash in the backyard. So they run out there, and there is a catfish in their swimming pool. They don't live near a lake. They have a tarp over their pool, a soft tarp, but the catfish had crashed through their tarp and into the water, swimming vigorously. It's a bow mud cat. We have a picture of a mud cat. They call the police. Nobody's going to believe this. The police come. The police took a picture. The picture's not a real good picture, but that's the police photo of the mysterious catfish. The police scoop it out, and they put it in a, a cooler with water. They, how in the world did that catfish, I mean, I would say somebody around here would do that as a trick, but the catfish had talon marks on its back. Here's what they rightly deducted. That catfish is swimming along, minding its own business, and a j- big bird grabs it and pulls it out of the water. It's flying, taking it to supper. A little grill in the nest. It drops the fish. The fish falls into the pool. It's rescued out and they take it and release it in the wild. I want you to think about the surprises and the shocks. If you're, if you're sitting in your house today and a catfish falls in your swimming pool and you tell me we're calling the police to check your breath for alcohol. I mean, wouldn't you agree? That, that's kind of crazy. Imagine their shock. Imagine that catfish is shocked. Catfish is swimming along, minding its own business, and all of a sudden, something grabs it and pulls it out of the water. Can you imagine the horror of that? Catfish probably have the brain the size of a small thimble, but I imagine as that catfish is flying through the air, gasping for air, because that's like us being underwater, it's got to know it's meeting Jesus soon, right? Then the fish, the bird drops the fish. Catfish don't know a lot about gravity and splat, but he's got to figure this isn't good. Then he lands into a, a pool. And it's not in Ruston. If that was in Ruston, that cat would have been grilled that night. These are liberal country club Florida people. They get him out and re- release him into a lake. <laughs> That's the luckiest catfish in the world. Would you agree? I want to tell you something though. The biggest surprise ever is that the Son of God died for you and me. That He came back to life. And you're the luckiest person ever today because He's here in this room looking for you this morning. Not to scold you, but to change your life. If you'll let. Would you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you. Man, connect, reconnect with Jesus today. Do whatever you need to do to reconnect with Him. You're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian. If you're ready today, man, give your life to Christ this morning. Pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. 
And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I, I surrender my life to you this morning. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. Maybe you want to catch me at this door or one of our ministers after church and let us help you and pray with you. We'd love to. I want to give you the chance now. Maybe Jesus has spoken to your heart and you're ready to give your life to him. Would you, would you be bold and come this morning and follow Christ? We'd love for you to. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do it after church. Or when we stand, you can come. Listen, we do this every Sunday. We're going to lift up Jesus and try to do our best at all we can do point you to him come and join us you're a christian this morning man maybe maybe you're far from god he's looking for you he wants you to come back to him will you come back to him let's stay in